Good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here since I'm here and uh, grateful that you are uh, a part of this church and a part of worshiping with us. I want to say to you, I'm really thankful for Chad Strange. If you were here, Chad was able to preach last week. He's one of our elders uh, here at the church and uh, just did a phenomenal job. Watched from where I was doing a wedding in Colorado and just such an awesome deal. Our elders all have different spiritual gifts. A couple of them have really good teaching gifts like uh, Chad has, and we're excited to see them sort of rotate in, uh, in the, the whole uh, Sunday morning thing as we, as we move forward here. So it's exciting. Um, we are in a series called Protect This House. Protect This House, and it's a biblical marriage and family series, but it's really for everyone, anyone and everyone needs to hear and understand uh, the principles that we're talking about. And one of the things that I think is on a lot of people's minds, a lot of people's hearts, is, is how in the world does our home, does our family go through life as it is today? And how do we survive the culture? And what about the enemy and his attacks and all those kinds of things? And what do we do? And how do we do it? Those kinds of things. Today, I want to talk about parenting for discipleship, which is is a little bit different than just parenting. Uh, And so we're going to get into Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. While you're turning there, let me say a couple of uh, a couple of things as a caveat. First of all, there there are no perfect parents or grandparents ever. Does everybody realize that? So so let yourself off the I have to be a perfect parent or perfect grandparent uh, uh, hook. There's just no such thing. Uh, we do have a perfect father, and he is a perfect father to our children, to our grandchildren. He deeply desires the best for the next generation, and the one after that, and the one after that. Uh, Angela and I, we have three daughters, 22, 19, and 14. I can't even believe I'm saying their ages like that. They used to be like four and three, and now they're adulting and all those kinds of things. And uh, I'll tell you this, like we know what it's like to be on the mountaintop as parents and celebrating and all that kind of stuff. And we also know what it's like to be in the fetal position, broken and not knowing what to do. So anything that I am getting ready to say to you, you need to filter through that. Sometimes when, when, when I talk about parenting, because I wrote three books and Angela wrote a book with me and because I talk about it a lot, people think, well, okay, that's the, he's the perfect parent. He went to seminary. Oh, my goodness. You know, and the reality is, no, that, that stuff did not help me parent. Right? It doesn't give me like a, a, a one up on anybody. We're all on the same level playing field when it comes to trying to parent and lead and grandparent in this culture that we live in. It's very difficult. So, would you stand with me? We'll read Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. Here is what the scripture says Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You can be seated. From the very beginning, in the scriptures, there's a plan by God, the designer that Chad talked about last week. There's a plan by God to expand his kingdom from one generation to the next, parent to child, grandparent to grandchildren, faith community to the next generation. We all have a part to play. In fact, we get this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6, or these verses, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9, situated in a very important place if you understand the biblical history of Israel. So they get this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. They get this as they're entering the promised land, and God is saying to them, here is how you should live in the land that I'm giving you. And the first thing that he says, in fact, this section of scripture uh, today by the most devout Jews is recited at least twice every day. It is the, I would say, the most important section of scripture in the Jewish mind. And it doesn't just go away because Jesus dies on a cross to save us from our sins and rises again from the dead and the church is born. In fact, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And in Matthew 22, he said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. This is echoing Deuteronomy chapter 6. Parenting in the 21st century, grandparenting in the 21st century, coming alongside families in the 21st century to help the next generation know and love Jesus is not exactly easy, but it's required. Now, when we look at this, I want you to just walk through this with me because I I want you to hear exactly what God was saying to his people and in turn what he says to us. The first thing he says in verse 4 is hear, O Israel. The word hear is the word Shema. This whole, whole section of scripture is called the Shema. And Shema means to hear and to obey. It's not like to just hear for content, right? Like you come here, you fill in some blanks, or you write some things down, you got some new content, and you go home. This is different than that. This is hear and walk it out. Hear and make it come out in your hands. Hear and make it come out in your mouth and in your heart and in your feet hear and obey you walk this thing uh out incidentally most people think in 21st century america most people think bringing their kids to church will be enough to train them biblically or to help them really know and love jesus as they grow into adulthood and bringing them to church is important but do you know there are 168 hours in the week The most devout family in the church 
brings their kids to church likely two hours a week of those 168 hours. Uh, mostly, if you take out the most devout and you say, what do most people do? Most people are going to attend church two times a month with their family, which means they're really averaging about one hour a week in church with their kids. One hour a week for what is most important in life, well, that one hour a week is important, it's not enough. And Deuteronomy 6 sort of shows us that it gives us a picture that the faith community is important. What I do and what you do and what we do collectively to come alongside families in the next generation is really important, but it's not enough. And the research proves that. There's a guy named Christian Smith that's been doing research in conjunction with Yale and Oxford University for uh, since 2005 sociological research been studying the religious lives of american teenagers since 2005 and what we know is that kids growing up inside these great buildings with these professional pastors and great programs and all this kind of stuff they they grow up and at best have a compartmentalized worldview which means they have a jesus box in their life but it doesn't really affect all the other boxes of their life it's for inside certain buildings certain days of the week you see it doesn't really affect their social media it doesn't really affect their relationships it doesn't really affect how what they choose to do for work and life and and how they you know relate to god every day doesn't really affect that and they're 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 here you know one two hours a week it's not enough. And, and the, scripture, the God of the scriptures knows that. He knows that by design, family is created to be an incubator for faith development. Now, what would it take for our children and our grandchildren to identify as followers of Jesus? Like devout followers of Jesus. What would it take? Well, a big part of that, a big answer to that question is found in faith at home, not just faith at church. A couple things that, that Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 6 shows us. The first is this, that faith at home that is transferable, that, that will transfer from one generation to the next. Faith at home that is transferable is real, is real. So let me explain that the scripture says hero israel hear and obey the lord our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your might and these words that i command you today shall be upon your hearts so faith at home that is transferable is real meaning that I, as a parent, I'm not perfect. I will not do it right all of the time. I'm in need of grace, but I really do love God with my heart, with my strength. Heart in the Hebrew context is more mental than, than emotional. With all of my heart, 
Foam of my soul, that's the part of you that lives forever. That's more of the emotional part. With all of my might, that's even your physical beings, like what you do with, with your hands and your feet every day, where you go and how it plays out. Faith at home that is transferable is real. How many of you know that religion or faith can be faked? Would you please just raise your hand if you have ever faked i'm just kidding (laughs) but it's probably true it's probably true some people's like their their theology is i'm gonna fake it till i make it real faith that it's transferable is the kind that's authentic that it's it's real it's led by parents and grandparents that love god with all their heart their soul their mind their strength. Here's the second thing we learned that faith at home that is transferable is intentional. So if you look at verses seven to nine, it says you shall, you is plural. So it's like the community of faith, all of us working together. Jenny Pierce is sitting right here in the front row. She loves that I'm calling her out right now. I have three daughters. She's invested in all of them. She has partnered with Angela and I in the gospel for the sake of our, our, gen, our, our legacy of faith, right? We need each other on the one hand. On the other hand, we also have a part to play at home. And so here's, here's what it says. Uh, <clears throat> These words that I commanded you today shall be upon your heart. So you're ingesting God's word. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit at home in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your doorpost of your house and on your gates. So this faith at home that is transferable, it is intentional. Now, concerned with teach them diligently teach them diligently if you look at that it actually the niv uh translates this the best i think of any of the translations which i don't usually give the niv that but but here they do they 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 say impress them on your children it is a is a hebrew word that context connotates an etching like in a monument like someone who's just etching in stone something that takes a long time to etch in there but once it's there once it's impressed in the stone it's impressed permanently and it says that we do this teaching this diligent teaching uh in the regular daily conversation along the way here's what he says as you sit in your house as you walk by the way, as you lie down, as you get up, just that's the, that's those 168 hours I was talking about in the beginning of the, the message. That's, that's just as we are with our children and with our grandchildren, as we, as we just do, do life together, it's in the mundane. It's not, it's not about their camp experience. Although those, those things are good. It's not about necessarily, you know, their, their, their big event, uh, like collide weekend that we have here. Those things are good. Those are partnership sort of events, but the most important thing, according to all the research and specific 
specifically stated here in the scriptures that while we're walking every day out, just as we sit at home and walk along the way and lie down and get up, that we should be etching the word of God, what faith looks like, how they should walk onto their hearts. And that's, that's really intentional. It requires this daily conversation. And according to the scripture, it's obvious. I mean, so here's what they say is what the scripture says do. We don't, we don't do this uh, over here literally, but bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your post. Each of these things have meaning. Okay, so, so if you're going to write something on the doorframe of your house, so in Israel, every, door, every house you go in, every uh, hotel room you go in, for that matter, you're going to find a mezuzah. It's a little thing on the, on the edge of the doorframe, and inside the doorframe, I mean inside the mezuzah, a tiny little scroll, and on it is written Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Because it's literal and it's obvious. And you think about as you walk through the door, you think, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. How about on, on, uh, bind them on your wrists or put them on your hands? I mean, if you watch how the most... Uh, um, uh, Orthodox Jews pray, they take teflon, which is just leather straps, and they wrap them on, the, on their hands in the form of a shin, which is the Hebrew letter, the first letter in the word Shema. And it's, it's literal. And you can see it. And also, you will see people walking around with boxes on their head. Phylactery boxes. And inside the box, a little scroll, and it's on the scroll is written, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It's very obvious. You can't miss it. And so I'm not asking you to, you know, wear boxes on your head this week. What I am asking is how is your faith in Jesus obvious? Because it is very intentional. We, we have uh, in our house three boxes. We call them milestone boxes because we've been, this thing Cade was talking about in the video a second ago, these legacy milestones. We've been living with our kids for a long time. And in the boxes, we have symbols, letters, things that God has done in their life sort of along the way. The oldest one now, 20, 22 years old. We have journals in those boxes where we have written them letters on good days and bad days and celebratory days and all kinds of things. So they can look back and they can go, when we're, we're gone, they can remember the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. That happened in our family. Not just to Jacob, to Brian. Angela, Haley, Madeline, Eden, you know, what is obvious in your home, as obvious as a box on your face, Teflon on your hands, mezuzah on your doorframe that says, hey, we are a house that worships Jesus. Now, so we know faith at home, is trans- if it's transferable, it's real. We know that if it's transferable, it's intentional, and we should teach them diligently. We should, we, it requires daily conversation. 
uh, along the way. You know, I was thinking about, like, what, it, what, it, what it, are these obvious things? Some of them, like just you being here, if this is a rhythm in your life, you gather with the people of God, this is obvious to your next generation, to the next generation. You come here, you come through worship, you struggle with your kids on the way here, and uh, you get here, and, you, and this is a rhythm for you. It's obvious. I'd say way to go. If you have family dinner and you pray and you talk about the God moments this week, like how, how God has worked and done and what have you seen and all, that's obvious. It's not rocket science. It doesn't have to be hard. It has to be obvious to them, you see. So there are, though, some real obstacles to faith at home. Real obstacles. And I could, I could make a list of 25. I'm going to make a list of three that I think are most important for us, particularly this morning. And I want us to think through these things carefully. The first one is this. The first obstacle to faith at home, discipleship at home, parenting and grandparenting to make disciples. The first obstacle is the American religious culture. The American religious culture. I don't... So there is a, what I would call a doctrine, a false doctrine called moral therapeutic deism. Like, great, I don't even know how to spell therapeutic, you know. Moral therapeutic deism. And it is rampant in American religious culture. Now, here are the five tenets of moral therapeutic deism. I will venture to say that some of you will recognize you practice moral therapeutic deism. And I hope that you you recognize it. I hope that this pops in this moment. So here are the five tenets of moral therapeutic deism, according to Christian Smith. The first one is this, a God exist who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Now we hear that first one. I think, okay, this is not so bad. Sounds right to me. Okay, good. Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible by most world religions. Okay. So also we're thinking, okay, that sounds good. Good, nice, fair, I mean, love your neighbor as yourself, all those kinds of things are good. Here's where it gets wonky. The central, here's the third one. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. Okay, so many American religious types sitting in churches, they would say God's watching over us. We should be good people, and the point of all this is so that I would be or we would be happy and feel good about ourselves, which is where it goes contrary to Scripture pretty quickly. Number four, fourth tenet, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Right, so you might think that's sacrilegious. That's not right. But ask yourself this question: How and how, how do you engage God uh, apart from the times that you have problems? 
How do your children and grandchildren see you engage God apart from the times when everything is going terrible? And so many people who practice moral therapeutic deism, they don't recognize they're practicing moral therapeutic deism, but they are because they only pray when they're out of money or when life is out of their control. But when everything is good, I don't need God right now. I got this. Fifth tenet of moral therapeutic deism is this. Good people go to heaven when they die. Good people go to heaven when they die, which is not true. Only people who place their faith in Jesus go to heaven when they die, according to the scripture. I would flip it on its end and say bad people go to heaven (laughs) who place their faith in Jesus. In fact, all of the scripture says there's no good people. We need to be reborn, remade, have a new identity. But moral therapeutic deism, and it has all, those are the five basic tenets. But what it does is it, it drives a version of success. And the latest, uh, the latest research by Christian Smith says the vast percentage of church parents, church parents, value faith for their children to make them more moral and successful and nothing more to make them more moral and successful and nothing more. So here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're here, if you got your kids in our Christian school, if you're homeschooling, if you got them in Sunday school and your goal for that is I just want them to be moral and successful If you attend church because you want them to be moral and successful, it's not going to work. Because nobody chases morality without Jesus. It's intuitively. We know good and bad. We know right from wrong, all those kinds of things. We can say that's a good person. That's a bad person based on what their morality looks like. But holistically in the heart, man, nobody chases 100% completely that kind of thing apart from a relationship with Jesus. So that, that whole way of thinking is devoid of Christ. Devoid of the gospel, devoid of kingship, devoid of sacrificial living and mission. I mean, the the scriptures are saying things like in Luke chapter 9, 23. If you're going to come after me, Jesus is talking, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. All of Matthew 5 and 6 is just crazy with the kinds of things that Jesus is asking us to do because we follow him and we love him. And so you have to understand American religious culture says that we should be moral and when we need God, we'll call on him. Disciples of Jesus walk with him as they sit at home. As they walk along the way, as they lie down, and as they get up every day. It might be a bumpy ride. You're definitely going to need grace. But the faith of a disciple of Jesus is not for inside certain buildings certain days of the week. 
Its goal is not morality. Its goal is kingship of Jesus. Its goal is to follow the Lord. We call him Lord, which makes us servants. And so it means that we follow him, that he owns the work of my hands, the the, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, the direction of my feet every day. That I'm not living for me anymore. I I have to die to self. Paul said I, I have to be sacrificial. A living sacrifice to follow Jesus. See, that's very different than the American religious culture. So number one, a great obstacle is the American religious cult, cult, culture. The second is this. By the way, let me just ask. Where are the Jesus parents and grandparents? The ones who value faith for their children to adore Christ and fulfill God's purposes for his glory. Where are they? Second obstacle. I'm just going to, I'm going to put it in now. We've dealt with a hard moral therapeutic deism. Now, very simple. All talk and no walk. This is the second obstacle. All talk and no walk. Is the kind of deal where, like, we constantly expect our kids to live the ways of God, the morality of God. We might even go a step further and say, you you got to memorize all this scripture, and we're going to reward you for memorizing all this scripture because, because we value the legal part of it, the talk of it, and we, we thrive on, on that. But what happens in the context of home is that we hold this up and all talk, but if we don't walk it out, do you know that our kids smell a fake a mile away? If we, it would be better just not to talk if we're not going to walk, according to the research. But if we talk it and we don't walk it, our kids grow into adults who believe that was not real. That was not right. I don't need that. I didn't like X, Y, or Z about the faith. All talk and no walk. This is a huge obstacle. Our work, our walk, it doesn't require perfection. Mine is not perfect. I don't know how many times, how many times I have to go to my wife, I have to go to my daughter, and I have to, I have to ask their forgiveness because I blew it. I have to receive mercy and grace myself because I blew it. You're not going to be perfect. But part of the walk is, is, is repentance and forgiveness and receiving and offering grace and all those things. Family is messy. It can be painful. But you have to, if you're going to talk it, you have to walk. All talk and no walk is like do as I say and not as I do. And that makes God a fake in the minds of the next generation. Here's the third obstacle. And last one we'll talk about today. All walk and no talk. It's the flip side of that. So you privately walk out your faith in Jesus. You might even bring people, your, your kids and your grandkids to church here. But when it's time to go home and you're walking through those other 166 hours a week, 
that you weren't sitting inside a church building or in a group or all those kinds of things. And, and, it's, and you're walking it out. You pray privately. You read the scripture privately. They don't see that. And, and, and you never answer the question, why do we do this for them? Sort of all along the way. In the scripture, if we had a time today, I would unpack all the times in the Old Testament. Jesus says, when your kids ask you, I mean, when God, it is Jesus, in fact. When he says in, by his word, when your kids ask you, what is it, these stones? What is that thing on your head? What, are the, what is that on your wrist? Tell them the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and the wonders he has done. So if we never, if we, if we're just all walk, like we get the faith for our, ourselves, but we don't in fact teach it to our kids using words. We're all walk and no talk. They never get the why. Christian Smith says, and, and this is specifically related to parents of teenagers. Anybody parenting a teen right now? Come on. You look, I can tell, I can see it in your face. Listen to what Christian Smith says about parenting teens. Informal conversations between parent and teenager is the primary way faith is transmitted at that season. Informal conversation between parent and teen is the primary way faith is transmitted. So as you walk along the road, you sit at home, lie down, you get up. They see that your talk matches your walk even when you have to ask them for forgiveness, even when you have to own your own sin, even when you have to offer them grace as you need grace. This is really important. These are three of millions of obstacles to this in our life, but, but we need to understand American religious culture, all talk and no walk, and all walk and no talk all get in the way for people like us. Big question, how will the next generation love God with all their heart, soul, and strength unless the family of origin walks in it? Now, there are anecdotal, you could point to people, you might be a person who's like, my family was AWOL spiritually, and I'm walking with Jesus now, and I praise the Lord for the mercy and grace of that. Thank God. But it doesn't take away what we see in the scriptures from Deuteronomy 6 all the way to Ephesians 6 that says that we as parents and grandparents have the primary faith training responsibility for the next generation. Just because God was gracious doesn't mean you can you can delegate that you can you can you know push it out there you can say well when god wants to get a hold of him he will it's true he's sovereign but he also gives you this part to play someone shared this imagery with me one time and it changed my life because uh i was as i i i promise you pastoring a church is hard um being a parent is harder Why? For me, this is for me. For me, I was so worried I was going to mess it up. And there were times I did mess it up. And one of my mentors said to me, 
hey, don't ever forget, and this is what I want to leave you with, because it's hard. Don't ever forget this. You have a perfect father, Brian. His name is God. You have access to him through Jesus. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, but, and you got some rough edges, got some experiences in your life that sort of make things difficult for you sometimes. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to focus on. If you could just take their little hands. They're not little anymore, but I remember being like this. If you could just take their little hands and just keep walking with them. And if you and Angela can put their hands in his hands, because he's perfect. And if you can just step back when it's time and they hold on to his hands. Well done. Well done. I'm asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to be real and intentional. Real in your faith and your walk, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, even when you need forgiveness, and intentional. So what could you do after this? We're going to pray. It's going to wrap up. You're going to go home like, I should be a better parent is my takeaway. What do I do? crud a couple things we want to help you with first of all every week forever we we have faith talk questions that we put on the screen that we put on the app that we have on our website that before covid we put them in the worship guide how many of you remember bulletins that we could pass out those are coming back don't worry <clears throat> hey eat lunch today you heard the message. Your tank is full. Open the scripture. Ask the questions. I dare you to ask your kid or your grandkid, hey, how am I doing teaching you about Jesus? They're going to be like, what do you mean? Have a conversation. Those conversations are really important. If you made a rhythm every week, or Sunday, you went to church, you got your tank sort of filled, you opened up the scripture at lunch, you ask a couple questions, and you make a rhythm. It's a big deal. That's a step. We have all these milestone seminars going on this month. You can check them out at bayarea.church/events. We're just equipping you for the next stage. You figure out where your kids are on this journey, where they are in their, in their faith development. And then we're going to help you with some seminars to help you know, like, what to, what to do next, how to take the next step. And I get it, man. Some of you, I've been, I, I've spoken at a ton of parenting conferences in the, wor- in the worst time of my, like, I am the worst parent. And I am standing next to Dennis Rainey and James Dobson. And I am terrible. I'm a terrible parent in that moment, you know. I know that some of you probably came in here and you felt already defeated before you opened the word because of what you're going through. That's next week's sermon. You need to come back. Because next week we're going to talk about how do you lead your family when life isn't as it should be. Because there will be times. There will be times when life isn't as it should be. It's not as easy as have a faith talk. But be intentional. 
be real. Those are some ways. All right, bow your head, close your eyes. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your word and how clear it is. We confess a lot of times we don't know what to do, how to do it. Father, we confess that we're busy. Father, we confess that we're unintentional often. I pray, Lord, would you help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to impress these words of yours, this way of yours, Jesus, in our walk and in our our talk with our children and grandchildren every day. For all those in the room that don't even have kids or grandkids, and maybe I've thought, like, I don't even want to have kids and grandkids. Lord, would you use them to partner with so many families to equip the next generation, just even through these ministries here. There's so many, so many in the next generation that need someone to come alongside them. Lord, we want to be a people who uh, walk out what you've told us to do. And so help us with that by your spirit today. Pray for those that are hurting, that feel like they didn't even, can't even get their head above water. And I pray your blessing over them. Give them peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.